1: Welcome to the Washed Up Emo Podcast. I'm Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Fitting for episode 101, we go back to school with one of the forefathers of Emo, and we welcome Seth from Indian Summer. Indian Summer were around for less than a year in the early 90s, but spawned many after them with their experimentation and not-to-be-missed live show. Seth has gone on to live a very full life, but still to this day, holding on to the ideals of music being something you do for love, not money even have the slightest interest of where this genre began and why it's where it is, this episode is a great start. This is episode 101 with Steph of Indian Summer.
2: Well, me and my brother, um, my brother moved out to Oakland and I followed him a year or two later and he was already in a band called Jabberjaw, which was the pre-makings of like I mean, me and my brother would always just listen to, uh, you know, we like Rites of Spring and all that DC stuff. We were all like any other kid, you know, uh, who would wind up playing that music. Loved DC, loved all the Discord shit. And then we were in Jabberjaw for a little bit. Jabberjaw was starting to just sound more and more like Rites of Spring. It came from sort of like a pop punk band. And then by the time I had joined, it was like we were on, we went on the road for a month and it was gearing towards... That writes a spring sound. We met this one drummer kid, Mark. He was a great drummer and uh, he really changed up the band. And then we took that band, the same sound, same ideas, almost the same songs, and then joined, uh, formed this band, Sinker. We were like, we got to get serious. And, 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 you know, Jabberjaw is just connected with punk, pop punk. So Sinker was our first foray with uh, Dan, who was the original drummer for Indian Summer. So Sinker lasted about a year with Scott um, from Sunny Syndicate Records. He was a singer. And then my brother would just sing backups every once in a while. And we went on tour with Scott for a month. Um, and towards the end of it, we were all just drifting apart. So we took me and my brother and Dan and, uh, wanted to, you know, start a, a new band without Scott. So my brother could sing. And then my best friend at the time was Mark who wound up playing second guitar in Indian summer. And that's how it all started. So in the beginning it was me and my brother, Mark and Dan, and then Dan lived so far away. He had, I don't know, he had to get a job or something. And then he just couldn't be making all these band practices we needed him to. So eventually he picked up um, EAD. So the band was me and my brother, who were brothers. Mark was my best friend. And then Mark's other really close friend was EAD. And before that, Dan was all of our friends. So it was kind of like a, a family a family affair. So it started basically with all these incarnations that me and my brother um, just picked up different drummers throughout the <laughs> throughout the spectrum and added Mark but we were all pretty much influenced by the same idea. You know, we didn't want to do uh, thrashy hardcore and all that stuff. Um, we just wanted to play solid music. We were really into, you know, a bunch of shit. There was no one band that influenced uh, Indian Summer. Maybe Flint influenced me and my brother more than um, uh, any other band. But Mark and had definitely had not been up to par with all that stuff. They were just listening to whatever. And then we all just kind of threw our influences in the mix and that's what it sounded like
1: when when you and um adam were getting into tunes what what was Mm -hmm. was it was it all the discord stuff like how did you even learn about that
2: oh oh uh well i mean you know we lived in oakland and berkeley and it's like the height of gilman power and all these bands i mean you just hung around everybody and then i think my brother worked at a thrift store in san francisco and this kid you know my brother was talking to this kid about something he's like you have to hear this band Slint." <laughs> so my brother listens to Splint and he tells me about it he's like you got to come over and listen to it. so i went over to his house i listened to it and then i was just so i was blown away i was like this is the greatest thing i've ever heard so i walked from my brother's house to the amoeba records in berkeley and back to my house like a seven eight mile trek and then just wore out the needle listening to Slint, and so did my brother so we started listening to that we listened to Moss Icon, um, back when, I mean, you know, nobody knew what Moss Icon was. I don't know how we found out about Moss Icon, but the minute we did, we were like Slint and Moss Icon. This is, this is what music is. You know, we, we, we found our, the sound that we'd always wanted to play. You know, we wanted to play like righteous spring, but we didn't want to play that fast. We were more serious and Slint I think turned everything around. And my brother was the main, you know, he wrote the main riffs for most of the songs and whatever, you know, that's just what it came about because my brother was just heavy into slint and moss icon, and then uh, and then Hoover. When we saw them live towards the end of our lifetime with Sinker before we started in the summer, we were just like, this music can be done, you know, in a really great way. And it was really Hoover was influential as well.
1: I mean, hearing those bands and hearing what what you're sounding like, and I'm sure the listeners will go back and listen. There's dynamic that I think I've found so genuine and I think I can hear it now in certain bands and it's Mm -hmm. that sort of crescendo uh, there's a uh, there's like a very uh, you know there's a lot of sounds that are epic but also like you think they're going to break in any moment and you sort of build it up and bring it back down and bring it back up and I think there's a really like it's almost like breathing Um, and, uh, what about like when, I mean, structuring that, that you Mm -hmm. guys were really early with that. I mean, that was repeated. There was a Philly scene, uh, that did that a few years later. Um, I just think the, I just think that sort of like that first time you guys all did that, did anyone go like, what did we just do?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. I think, um, you know, like. Me and my brother grew up on Boston and Fleetwood Mac and shit. And, 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 and then we got into, you know, pop punk and, and not, and, and, you know, we, we were listening to Black Flag when we were 13 years old. So we'd already gotten that out of our system. By the time we were 19, 20 years old, we were like, fuck, what else was there to do? You know what I mean? And like, you learn your way around your instrument and you don't want to just play three chords anymore. And I think uh, stepping on pedals and going from quiet to loud was just something we've always, we always did that. Like we would just... I don't know, I mean, I can't remember a time when that wasn't our, our angle, whether we were playing pop punk or or in any of the bands that we were ever in, that was always kind of our MO. It was like, just like, play it and then crank up the music and get super, you know, totally into it, bounce around the room and then turn the pedal off and and then keep them guessing and then step the pedal, you know, turn the volume back up and just go crazy. It's, we I don't know. I mean, that was always the way we played. <laughs> and I think everybody that we ever played with Got on board with that, and it was, uh, you know, I mean, uh, we saw other bands do it. <laughs> I don't think any Summer was the only, I mean, the uh, bands we remember were the only bands doing it, but uh, it was, uh, I don't know, I guess we've kind of always played like that. Me and my brother have always been
1: thinking that way, I think. Berkeley, San Francisco scene, 924 Gilman. What was, I mean, it was great. You just mentioned, you know, you had an amoeba. You had a great sort of DIY space. What other bands were happening at that time? The
2: Bay Area and San Diego were the shit. I mean, Gil- I mean Gilman in the early 90s was just, it was all about it. it was community, you know what I mean? Like, there was a, a scene, per se, and, but it was mostly just like, I mean, it was like an ethical thing about it. Like, tour bands would come up, and you wouldn't take any money. You would give them all the money, and they did the same thing for you. San Diego was happening with Antioch Arrow and all these uh, candle and all these other bands and heroin, you know, we saw heroin playing a little house in Oakland in 1992. And we were just floored. We were like, this is fucking awesome. You know, and it comes from San Diego and then California. I mean, from 90, 91 to 94, there must've been scenes in Santa Cruz, scenes in Cupertino, scenes in Oakland, scenes in Berkeley, San Francisco had their own little weird art thing. San Diego had it all. LA had a thing. It's like, Everybody knew everybody, and everybody would always be in one of those places playing shows, and everybody helped each other out. It was like no cell phones, handwritten letters, you know, like we we met John Hiltz, you know, and you go down to play his basement, and how I met him was I just wrote a letter and be like, man, I thought House was awesome. We struck up a friendship just through the mail. Then when you go to Jersey, you play John's house. When House comes to Oakland, I, I get them a show. It's just like an amazing, it was an amazing time to be a, a DIY musician. I don't know of any time where since you know what i mean like i think that these kids in 97 98 they already have a frame of reference to like sound like they're like oh i want to sound like captain jazz or i want to sound like indian summer they already had that back then we didn't know what the fuck we were doing we didn't have any frame of reference we were all just vibing off each other like whatever was happening was in the moment it was immediate and it was uh it was cool like everybody was
1: just into it. There is this sort of epicenter where I'm trying, you know, again, you're right. The 97, 98s, those guys were looking, okay, well, Captain Jazz, and here's the Midwest scene going on. and th- But to have no frame of reference, but it seemed like you said, the San Diego scene had those bands, and it was sort of you were doing the same thing, but it was you weren't necessarily talking about it.
2: Yeah, I don't, I, I mean, it was just you just see these bands. Like Heroin would come up, and you didn't know what the fuck Heroin was. They, you'd come up, you'd buy their sevenants and you'd listen to it religiously, and then you'd write Gravity Records a letter and be like, I like Gravity Records. Or you'd see an advertisement in Maximum Rock and Roll. I mean, that was a big thing. Like, we would go and get the Maximum Rock and Roll and read the reviews and see if they ever mention any band that sounds like Discord, we'd be like, oh, cool. <laughs> we got to go buy it. And then you would see these bands. So then eventually you just buy everything on Gravity because that had its own little sound. And then, I mean, that's just the way thats the way it worked. Now, now we as Indian Summer, we, we didn't sound like anybody. There weren't any bands in the bay area that sounded like us um we had come from hardcore roots and we could play shows with hardcore bands it wasn't like we stood out or anything like that but we were a lot slower and a lot more like i don't know more vibey there was a lot of the same just kind of like antiocho get up make a bunch of noise play for 15 minutes which was cool which is totally cool that would happen on both coasts east coast west coast You had UOA, heroin uh, you know Rorschach and we wound up playing with all these bands eventually and it wasn't you know it's not even summer doesn't stand out in a, a crowd like that because we still got these hardcore roots but there was just like everybody was just like going for it fashion they had fashion like there's a <laughs> San Diego kids were dressing like the nation of Ulysses like everybody wanted to peg their pants and like get a Spock haircut yeah and it was totally cool though. I thought it was cool like I, you know I mean like it's like you had to have a, a a dress code and it was like a cool, you were cool. You were walking around like that and it was just cool. Like, like you you were part of something, you know, and I can see why kids got totally into it. You know, they, you always see like these little 17 year old kids and they can't quite get it right. You know, they got the baggy skater pants, but they cut them to look like floods and they got their homemade bowl haircuts. And it's just like, I don't know. It was, it was just a great time to be a musician. And that's like probably the best place in the early nineties, I think to play hardcore music. I mean, the East coast had their own thing. New York had their own thing, but it wasn't the same as the, california vibe i mean between san diego and uh in the bay we had jawbreaker we had uh, uh art rock we had all the san diego Aniakero thrash stuff you know it was just amazing It was just cool and you could just co- tour up and down the west coast you go to olympia play with unwound carp you know beekeeper in la you had uh mark rogers um, he was down there in L.A. forming his own little scene. So everybody had buddy bands everywhere you went. And just like every week, it was like Unwound and Jawbreaker would play somewhere. And then you'd be down in Santa Barbara and they'd be there. And you just wind up playing together all the time. It was just fascinating. It was just amazing.
1: Yeah, what's cool is uh, you're bringing me back because, and I think a lot of people listening, you got a magazine, you read the, okay, they they referenced this, Ma, you know, Moss icon or whatever. Okay, I'm going to go check that out. And then in between... That moment of you waiting for the seven inch in the mail and then also waiting for the show, which you found out maybe from a friend or a flyer or you were walking around the neighborhood and then you went to the show and you saw it and then you got to maybe you waited. Maybe you got it at the show and then you spoke like five minutes with that person. Those I again, the Internet's amazing and I love that I can you and I met through the Internet and we've never met personally and now we're talking, but there was something about you know being able to not know anything or not know what you're going to get and have the patience to you know to stand and listen and be sort of mesmerized or blown away and then have a conversation i I feel like that's more than an email um and yeah, it yeah, still happens and kids still talk to each other. I'm not saying they don't, but I loved the unknown yeah, I think we all did like I
2: talked to my friends they're still. Um, you know, from that time period that I still keep in touch with them. They're all, we all just laugh like these kids today, the internet, you know, they got it so easy. <laughs> I mean, I met most of the people I know still to this day, I met through letters. You know, You just send a letter to a kid in Chicago and be like, that's how we met Captain Jazz. We're just like, Hey man, this shit is incredible. Really? You know, be our friends. Yeah. I mean, we, we how did that happen? Just like, well, we would just listen to it. You know, it's just, I mean, at that time, I can tell you there were probably one band per, major u.s city and hardly anything in between that like if there was like a band that kind of sounded like us i knew about it and then we would all write letters to each other i can't remember whether captain jazz wrote us a letter or we wrote a letter to them you know we met um mark Pearsall who put out their record he wrote it for us within the summer he's he's still a friend of ours he's a great person i can't remember how we come about it but we met mark and then we would just like you would just send captain jazz your seven inch and be like here's our seven inch you know, we love your demo tape. Do you have anything? And they would send you a seven inch and they'd be like, if you're ever in Illinois, come hang out. And that's just how, it, I mean, we, we loved early Cat and Jazz before they had that CD out. They were just had a, a seven inch and a demo tape and we loved it, you know, and they were on board with us. And we went on tour with Indian Summer. We played with them a bunch and it was just, I mean, you know, it was just amazing. That's how things got done. I met it. If you were in a band from Kalamazoo, Michigan, and it sounded a little bit like sinker, Indian Summer, I would just send them a letter and be like, I love your band. Can we, if we're ever in Kalamazoo, you know, can we come play with you? And these guys would send me back a seven inch and say, of course you can. And then we'd go on tour and wind up playing with them in Kalamazoo. The
1: the other big thing was compilations, you know, being able to get on and you guys were able to get on a few of those.
2: Those comps would basically just be like, who are the 10 bands that sound like this throughout
1: the United States?
2: (laughs) And just like send you a, letter in the mail saying i'm doing a comp would you guys like to do a track and of course we'd be like hell yeah of course we would we would love to do it and then we would just go and record it and send them an, an old school adat tape and the and the comp would come out and it was just like friends just like you know comrades we're all like in this together in this tiny tiny little scene that, that you know is hand in hand with one another and then uh you know we would like to, we always like to do split records with people because we were always just like well you know, let's, let's do it this way, and, and that way we reach you know audiences in Michigan and in Oakland and everywhere in between. So splits were happening all over the place, and that's how you brother-sistered with another band. That's how I met Current. I just sent them a letter. I was like, I love your 7-inch. Your they sent me back one. We, we exchanged phone numbers, and then we would just talk every night on the phone, <laughs> and then we just became best friends. It's just like, that's how it happened back then.
1: Talking on the phone, huh? Right? How crazy does that sound?
2: <laughs> I used to talk to Justin and Matt <laughs> just about every night. They would call me for a couple months in a row. And then, you know, we'd meet up with them and play with them and stay at their house and, and, and put out records together. And it's just it's just cool. That's just the way it happened. I don't I don't know how things happen today. And I hope there's still like uh, camaraderie and friendship. But back then it was just more meaningful because you had to write letters and like talk to people on the phone before you ever met them. Like you would you would know them do correspondence for eight months and then you'd meet them and they were like brothers instantly like brothers of yours.
1: So the the two years that you guys were pretty active, it was touring, what else were you guys doing? Were you just doing odd jobs and you were like, we're just being kids, doing whatever?
2: (laughs) Yeah, man. None of us went to, none of us were college people. Uh, uh, Me and my brother would just work odd jobs. I mean, I can't remember what I was doing. I was working at like a hot dog place or something weird like that. I think my brother did his best not to work. So he would like distro seven inches and live off 50 bucks a month or something like that and at some point we were all living in this uh the, the blue house in oakland which is like a people know about it i don't know why it was i just wound up living there four years my brother lived there it was like a meeting place you know eventually most of the kids that we're talking about had stepped foot in there and, and stayed a day or two so everybody's kind of know knew where the blue house was my brother kind of lived in a closet there <laughs> so i think he just got by that way mark i think went to community college for a little bit, he was super smart, but he was just like us. He just wanted to play music full time, and um, I don't think Dan went to college, and I don't think Ead went to college. I think we were all just like punk rock kids that just wanted to just do that all day, you know. And Ead and Mark lived in the uh, San Francisco, the north of San Francisco, in the the burbs up there. And me and my brother just lived in Oakland proper, like the you know the the bad part of Oakland where all the punk rock kids lived. <laughs>
1: And so, I mean, the band was pretty short-lived. It was only a year, not yeah. two
2: years, so one year less. I think it was less than a year, probably. Um, that's just the way things were moving back then. To tell you the truth, it had kind of run its course, and we'd all become, you know, we were, we'd all just started listening to to different music, and everybody had all these great ideas, and, and you know, you go on tour for a month, and it's like, I think, just you know, it had just run its course. We 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 were. All best friends, and by the end of it, you know, uh, we were we were not best friends. It's <laughs> you know, too familiar, maybe. And then the, the band had run its course, and Mark wanted to do something different, and my brother wanted to do something different, and I wanted to keep Indian Summer going, and Ed wanted to keep it going. But then I don't know, just we couldn't. I mean, I'm glad it I'm glad it only lasted a year because I think I don't know what we would have done next. I think we were at our apex, and we were like basically towards the end, almost just improvising everything all the time. You know what I mean? And I don't, I don't know where you can go from there on electric instruments. I think if we would have taken up jazz right then and there, it'd been great. <laughs> We've all been super great jazz musicians because I think we were just like basically, I don't know, I think that we were just like way more into just spont- spontaneity at that point. You know, like the the songs were written, but they were just kind of like a, a model that we would tinker with. And it's like, you never, you could see us play 50 times in a row and all 50 shows would be completely different. There wouldn't be any semblance of anything that's, the same,
1: you know, it was just... And you didn't name your songs?
2: No, nah, we didn't need no names. We, we, we practiced once a week um, down in San Francisco, and and that's what I mean. Like, the songs didn't need names because they weren't really, like... They weren't really... The, you wouldn't play it the same way twice, so you don't need to be like, well, we're going to play... Uh, 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 your Train Is Leaving. Well, nobody called it that, you know? Most We would just say, let's play my song, <laughs> and then we would just play it, but it would never be the same twice. You know, like, the recorded version is great, but I don't think it ever sounded like that ever again um the the con the the the, the melody and then the you know the concepts are there like the song is in there but like uh i mean we would just like play improvise something for two minutes and then eventually the song would work its way in there but it would basically just be a lot of us just like on stage just playing like we would just play for 30 straight minutes and somehow five songs would creep in there but they were never the same way twice which we we all love that we could all easily do it, and it's because uh, because my brother and Ead were so proficient on their instruments that they made it easy. And Ead made it super easy for me to play the bass because he was like the world's greatest drummer. So it was basically uh, when Ead joined, we had this level of musicianship that we hadn't had before. Um, uh, Because the original drummer, Dan, wasn't as as good of a drummer as Ead. And I definitely was not a great bass player. And Mark was definitely a novice guitar player. Like like all of us were just kind of learning our instruments, except for my brother, who was a great guitar player. And Ead, when he joined, the whole thing just got freed up full of space. And everybody was just like improved a thousand percent. Like because he's so great, we had all this extra room to, to just just play. And I, I became a much better bass player.
1: And for, I just think the the love that you didn't name it, and it was sort of this free form moment where you knew what to do. You knew the structure and you were changing it. That goes back to that thing I talked about earlier about this being like the point of breaking, like you are a band and you are tight and you've played together. You are playing this song, but you're playing it new almost because you're, you're, you're experimenting and you're trying to keep the song together.
2: Yep. I mean, because my brother's my twin. We have, like, ESP. So when, you know, it's like, we can figure these things out. And then Ead is so great at improvising, just such a great drummer, that he didn't have any problems. Mark is my other best friend who thinks a lot like me. And Mark and Ead are so close. So it's basically all of us sharing the same mind. I mean, we could have just gotten up there and played for 25 minutes without ever playing any thing that we'd pre-written and probably pull off a great show. Like, we would sometimes just go to practice and just do that shit, just play for 20 minutes. And it would just sound amazing because we were all like just being ourselves. Like, yeah, I didn't listen to a lot of discord music, you know, he didn't listen to the same music as us. And Mark liked, uh, you know, started getting into, you know, uh, real indie rock. And then I always liked, you know, Hoover and, and, and real, you know, the, 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 the current bands that kind of sounded like us, like current and Hoover and then my brother was listening to, like, Bedhead and, and Palace. And, like, we all started listening to Bedhead and, and just Rodin and all these random bands that didn't really sound like Indian Summer. And then we just put it all together, and that's how it came to be. We didn't have any kind of, like, preconceived notion of what a song was going to sound like. We would just play. That was just our voices going into a song, which was, which was dope. It was a great way to, great way to play.
1: Did you think... Well, years later that someone will be calling you at nine thirty in the morning, but did you think that that sound would then sort of transition a little bit to the the late nineties and then we can talk about the later eras but did you did you think that that was going to sort of continue to evolve
2: uh no never <laughs> nope we kind of considered it like um i mean i think it's the reason why it had to come to an end we were like we we almost consider that like uh like a young person's music you know what i mean like we we kind of felt like we wanted to get out and reach more people And it and indian summer is like it was like an intimate affair you couldn't play that at a 21 and over bar in san francisco in front of a bunch of 40 year olds they're not going to dig that shit you know the kids like it it's full of energy and full of um musical sounds that they're familiar with. And I think we all just kind of wanted to grow a little bit. You know, I think we just literally all of us had kind of grown out of Indian summer because the music had just gone as far as it was going to go. And I I thought we, you know, we all kind of just wanted to slow down, to be honest, like just play some like bedheady, you know, mellow, (laughs) mellow. We were old, old before our time. But I think it's just because during that time in the early nineties, things would change so fast. Bands were only around for six, seven months at a time. Like, things were just moving so quick and so fast that just, like, a year seemed like a lifetime back then. Like, you could have gotten everything, everything you needed to know in a year. You could have gotten that done easily.
1: And also the the documenting of things. You know, it's not like you guys were Instagramming your practices and, you know, working on your merch designs. And I love that people do that now. As, as a fan of bands, I'm happy that X band or when, um you know, Jawbreaker posts photos, I'm happy. Um But... I think the that part of where you weren't thinking about that you weren't thinking about updating social networks it was we're in this room we're going to play music and we have a show on Friday and we need to put together that 7-inch at our buddy's house who's pressing it for us.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everything was was like that. And it was I think that's just I think it's great. I mean, I, I sometimes
1: think... I wish I go in a time machine and maybe do that for a minute and then come back to the internet. Like I'm glad that we I was in both. I'm glad I didn't know the world when it was just cell phones and crazy. I like that I have that sort of middle ground between I didn't have it um, and now I do. And I think it helps appreciate what happened. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, the elephant in the room, the word emo, were you guys aware of that term during Indian summer or was it after?
2: I think not with Jabberjaw and maybe not so much with sinker maybe towards the end of sinker in the beginning of indian summer that word was like floated around a little bit like i'd, I'd heard the word but nobody you know i don't think uh it wasn't it wasn't a, no no writer in um maximum rock and roll would call you an emo band they would call you like a dc band or something like it didn't really have that kind of connotation it wasn't until y- you know a year or two later that it became like a, a word that people would familiarize with and it wasn't until i guess much later that it became an actual musical category which i find bizarre because if you were called an emo band you were like i don't want to be an emo band <laughs> it was like a bad word you didn't want to be known as an emo band you just wanted to be known as a, as a punk band you didn't give a shit about categorizing especially getting categorized as something like emo because it was definitely a dirty word when i heard it and i was in bands i definitely did not want to be labeled as an emo band i don't think anybody did i think i think it was a, a terrible connotation in the early 90s to be called emo you didn't want that label for you it was like an insult almost i think basically is what they were saying
1: other than certain bands that are making thousands of dollars djing and thousands of dollars uh being on the radio and they love the word being called that yeah um but i think the anyone else doesn't (laughs) no no no
2: we we definitely just wanted to play music i mean emo is just it's a silly word i don't know even sillier
1: even sillier is screamo because right, 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 right. that word, to me, I mean, one of the first bands that I saw uh, 400 years, I saw Frail and these like Policy of Three, like that, like I was on the East Coast. So those were the band. I was like, OK, cool. That's emo, but crazier and chaotic. And I like that more.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it was like. That was definitely a dumb word. Yeah. <laughs> that's really a terrible word. Screamo. It's a terrible word. <laughs> that makes me laugh just hearing it. It's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think people called Indian Summer Screamo, mostly. Yeah. I think that was, a, that was a thing, too. And I was like, I guess. I don't know. I sang. I never screamed. <laughs> I just sang. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about. But <laughs> we screamed every once in a while, I suppose. But mostly we just tried to sing.
1: So we, need, we have just came up with a new genre tonight. Today. This morning. Excuse me. Singmo. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now that's not even an insult. I like that. That's good. Right. That's what I was. Indian that's what I was trying to do.
1: Indian you know? summer is singmo. Got it. All right. Well. Yeah,
2: yeah. And then you could say I was trying to sing mo. <laughs> I was trying to sing mo some singmo. Yeah. <laughs> Mark definitely. I think Mark sang most of it. I mean, he, he, we would scream sort of at the end, I guess, to get your point across. But most of it was just monotone singing. Us trying to sing. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. <laughs> none, none of us had ever sang before, so it's pretty weird, but.
1: Is it weird to have people still, you know, mentioning your band or having it show up in lists? I mean, I hated the the list um, itself, but the Rolling Stone Top Forty emo bands. I was scroll or records or whatever, and I was scrolling and I saw yours, and I was like, I was like, all right, someone's getting cred points, and I can't believe this is in here. Right.
0: <laughs> I don't know what how they always
2: seem to like divide us they 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 seem to keep Captain and jazz in the same breath as like um death cab for cutie or something like that but they never put indian summer in that category they seem to think that indian summer is is in a whole different world than Captain and jazz but what they don't know is we were all just like making that same music at the same time it's like the same same ideas it's just bizarre i guess Captain and jazz is a little bit more accessible i suppose i don't I don't know, but when I read the
1: maybe it was the distribution. I mean, they had a that like. Did you feel like they had a a better n- network, or do you feel like your releases weren't available later? Do you feel like their compilation helped do that? No, no, okay. no nothing
2: like that. I think I think the record that um, the CD that everybody loves, the Roddy to keep the the Mark who it for us, he put that record out. That was his claim to fame. He was like the Captain the other member of Captain Jazz, and he put that record out. That record had come out uh six months after we broke up and like every every band was kind of like you know headed towards a more a, a, a better sound less you know screamo and more syncmo. and then captain jazz just came out and just broke the bank i mean we they were playing those songs that wound up being on that cd for about a year we'd seen them play live and i could have sang every one of those songs before the, the cd ever came out because you know you we heard the demo tape and some of them were on a seven inch and then you go see them live and we saw them five nights in a row and by the fifth night you already know all the you know you already know all the words it's like great you know and you're, and it's just i mean that was just the right record at the right time i remember when i heard it i was like this is amazing like this is just really great musicianship like those guys could really really play and they were um
1: i think you're right about saying that that, that the timing I was, it's the there's you release it at a certain time and you've hit a certain way and maybe there's a someone connecting to it. Maybe you guys were six months before that.
2: Yeah, I don't think, um, you know, we we would, we would play with them on tour and they, you know, I think we would all draw a, a semi decent turnout of 50 people or something like that, which was a good thing back in the day. I think that, um, if we had made a CD of 10 songs and they, at the same exact time that they did, that CD would still be way more popular. Like ours was, um, uh, Maybe better to see live, I think, would be how I would describe Indian Summer. <laughs> like much better to see live and maybe not connecting so much at the time on vinyl. Like we only had one seven inch and we pressed three hundred of them, maybe, or I don't know how many we pressed, but maybe a thousand, I don't know, but we would sell them for a buck at shows and you know, a year later they'd all be gone and that was it. We never thought anything about it. And then the Captain Jazz guys, I mean, every one of those guys could really play they had this great sound. I mean, when you see them live, when we saw them live, when we were in Indian summer playing with them, I was like, this this is just amazing. You know, I never thought it would be like the one record that would catapult 500 bands in existence, but it was definitely something we listened to every day for months. Cause it was just so great. And it was nice that they were friends of ours. Our friend put it out. The roadie for us put it out. It was just really, it's just the perfect record for the perfect time. I think. And I think if we did put the, a record out, it wouldn't have been that record and nobody would have paid as much attention to, to as they did to Captain Jazz, rightfully so, because that's just a great record.
1: Did you, after seeing that Rolling Stone thing, were you like, I can't believe people are still talking about this band?
2: <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I mean, uh, my brother, you know, he, 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 he put out those CDs, you know, years ago, um, it, you know, more as a way to like not work a day job, I think, more than anything else, you know what I mean? And it was just like, you know, it gets, I see that it gets a lot of popularity on YouTube and, you know, and and hundreds of thousands of people are looking at it on YouTube and that pretty much floors my mind, you know what I mean? I'm like, well, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. And everywhere I go now, when I'm on tour with my band, you know, somebody will say, oh, you're the guy from Indian Summer and they like to talk about it. And I just think it's great. I'm very humble about the whole thing. I think it's fantastic. I think I love how it's grown over the years. We've never fucked with it. We've never messed with it. We've never like we're not going to get back together and go on a reunion tour. (laughs) We're not doing that shit. Indian
1: summer 2018.
2: Yeah, No, man, I don't think I've talked to Mark in 25 years. I don't think that would ever happen. (laughs) Um, But you know, I like it. I'm, I'm humble about it. I meet you know, people all the time and I just give them records out of my collection. They say, I like Indian summer. I was like, well, come here, man, take one of these original seven inches, just go home and, and, and enjoy it. You know, like I'm just glad people like it. And I, years ago, some, kid from the Philippines sent me a handwritten letter and he's like, I, you know, we're in this Indian summer cover band and I want you to listen to it. And I listened to it and it was angry son. And it has, there's this little part where I do this tiny little bass thing that, you know, stands out in my mind. And then the kid covering it made it, you know, he did the same thing, but he, he, he boosted that part. And I was like, you see, I've written a piece of something that some other kid has picked up and thought it was great enough to cover. And he, he played that part with such enthusiasm. That's the, you know, the one time I've ever just been like, Oh, this is bigger than this is bigger than me. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that feeling, but I think me and my brother, uh, and yet I'm sure yeah and Mark, we've all done other things since that time and just kind of find that humbling. And then we're just really kind of focused on our, bands
1: current bands that's fucking amazing about that kid from the philippines i I remember getting an email from someone from russia you know saying that um i learned about mineral and i want you to tell me about more bands and it was like oh my god there's a kid in russia that knows who mineral is (laughs) and this was like this was 10 11 years ago (laughs)
2: yeah the european people love old school email they're all over that they're all over that shit it's weird
1: so you moved to new york in 2000 and what band did you start then it was eastern seaboard right
2: yeah that's my uh that's you know, me and my brother, you know, I was playing in, um, right after in the summer, I kept playing indie rock in the vein of like Rex and like, um, bedhead kind of thingies. You know what I mean? Like just loud to quiet dynamics, but just more, you know, I'm 27 now. I'm not a kid kind of dynamics. And I remember my brother came to visit me in Texas with this John Coltrane record meditations. And it's not like, you know, giant steps. This is like, you know, crazy free jazz. And I was like, this is John Coltrane. And I just loved it so much. And I heard Storm and Stress at the same time. And this was probably 98. And I just, like, in two days, just told the guys I was in the band with, I was like, we're going to play music like this from now on, or we're not going to play. I'm not going to play with you guys at all. And they didn't really want to go into that way. And I moved with, the, with my brother to Portland. In um, that time, we stayed there for a couple months. Then we moved back to Oakland and met up with our friend Randy and just started playing jazz. That was it. I hadn't played indie rock since. Just been playing, you know, free jazz since that time. And um, yeah, yeah. And my brother, turned me on to it he's all you know my brother's always one step ahead of everybody he's a freak and um i'm glad he did and that's what i've been doing i've just been playing jazz ever since my brother he he still plays um jazz and he does you know his other band uh, we all inherit the moon he does this like uh spaced out explosions in the sky stuff which is cool he's always going to be a guitar player because he's a great guitar player i don't know why does it doesn't focus on that more but he plays drums now and he's always like in and out of free jazz bands with our friend Randy. And, and, and when he comes to see me, I always make him pick up a tenor and come play on stage with me. And it's Just like jazz has been pretty much both of our lives for, for a long time. Mine more than his, but still, he still digs free jazz.
1: And what's your band now? Your band now is Ghost Trees, right? Ghost Trees, that's right. Yep, I've been in this band for five years now. It's just
2: me and the guy from the Eastern Seaboard without the bass player, basically. The bass player was, uh, wanted to continue painting. He's a great painter, and he was getting a lot more attention um, painting and we all just lived so far away from each other that just like getting together to tour was just getting to be like a monetarily financial disaster you know because there's there's only so much money you can make on the road as a free jazz band <laughs> so it wasn't really paying for itself so you know um he he just wanted to do that instead so it's basically like the eastern seaboard just with just me and the tenor player so i guess i've been playing with brent for 16 years now and we yeah he's kind of like we just share the same brain, too. But it's the same. I was talking to him about it a while ago, and a lot of people, it's the same exact concept that Indian Summer was doing. I guess I've been in a jazz band ever since I've, you know, even Indian Summer, to me, looking back on the way we played, seemed more jazz-oriented than anything else. You know, It was just like, we have this concept of a song, but we're going to improvise into it, and then whatever happens is going to happen. Like If you don't want to play it the same way, nobody's going to look at you and be like, why are you blowing your part? People are going to be like, oh, he's doing something new. I'm just going to keep going with it and the song will sound different and I think that's been my MO for from this morning when I woke up to from till you know 1991 till this morning <laughs> it's been the same MO I think my brother too I'm sure
1: I think what you said was really profound and it, maybe it's maybe my brain opened up and maybe cuz I haven't had coffee yet and my brain's able to think <laughs> without caffeine but I the way that you talked about you know the jazz was Like a, you know, again, very important. I actually just worked on a Miles Davis project. So I was sort of, uh, for work. So I was like sort of involved in that. And there was some information about him, sort of how Miles sort of dealt with the studio and what he did and pointed. And there was a connection. And you mentioning those things about you guys having those connections. And maybe that's why Indian Summer was the roots of that because of the jazz leanings. Like in how I loved when a band. Yes, they sounded, they played the songs I knew, but there was something different to it. And when I would see bands maybe later on in life, and it was the same set, the same perfect fucking noodle before the breakdown. And in some ways, I'm like, that's a tight band. But then in other ways, I wanted that mistake. I wanted that, oh, my God, something's going to go wrong feeling. Yeah, And you don't yeah. get that from something that's perfect. And with right, jazz, it's not always perfect. And maybe, maybe that's, that's that, maybe that's the root of it. Maybe that's the root of, I'm not going to use the word emo, but I just said it. Maybe that's that yeah. <laughs> root of it, it's, you guys were figuring it out together on the same level. Of course,
2: just living in the moment. I think that's what, what the emo bands, uh, early ones were, you know, like they would just like knock a microphone over and just sing out loud for, for. Four minutes, you know what I mean, like just living in the moment, you know nothing had to be perfect, everything was just like this is here and now, I think that's why they called it emotional because it was emotional, like you know you go see this band play, and they were just like pouring it all out on the stage it wasn't they weren't trying to be perfect, they were just trying to live in the moment and and get down, which was hardcore in general, I just think uh you know, <laughs> I think the thing to separate emo bands from hardcore bands was your equipment, maybe I think a lot of emo bands had spent a little bit more money on their equipment and weren't so worried about uh you know they played nicer instruments and probably practiced their guitar more than a punk rock kid did <laughs> that's probably how you got emo with kids who could actually play a little bit better you know wanted to expand their guitar universe maybe
1: so you settled in north carolina right me and my brother moved to wilmington
2: right after uh brooklyn um we took up surfing and we both wanted to live somewhere where the you know the waves were were good and the water wasn't so cold so i started surfing in brooklyn and um My brother moved to Wilmington, and I joined him out there, and then we uh, went a bunch of other places in between all that. We lived in Hawaii for a little bit. Um, I lived in Austin for a little while. My brother lived in Lawrence, Kansas. We all lived in Lawrence, Kansas. Just like a... I could cheer you up for about an hour about my timeline, but (laughs) it's just... We lived a lot of places just chasing music around. We were just like, where is there a place where you could play music and the living is cheap but they have like a decent music scene and we would just look it up and they'd be like lawrence kansas and we'd be like we're all going to lawrence kansas you
1: know? when were you lawrence? So we just, oh
2: 98 99 right out of oakland yep and we went out there and just played free jazz for the good citizens of lawrence kansas <laughs> they'd never heard free jazz and there probably ain't that many free jazz bands before or after that but we we fought to do it you know and we would just get our friends that would just, I don't know, they were great people. They would just move with us, you know? Like our friend Quinn, we've known this guy for 20 years, and he would just come and play. we just be like, we're all moving to Lawrence. He'd be like, cool, I'll meet you there, you know? And we would all just kind of always be together and be in a band up until that time. And then when we wanted to move to uh, Brooklyn just to play jazz, full- I mean, if you're going to play jazz, you've got to live in New York. So that's the way we looked at it, you know? And I was just like, I'm not going to play free jazz in Lawrence, Kansas. I want to I go be in Brooklyn and do it. And we opened up a recording studio there. Uh, my brother and his friend Dave opened up a recording studio there. Um, my brother was an engineer there. He learned about engineering all by just reading books, never went to school, never did anything. He could run a you know, a 24-track reel-to-reel tape machine just based on the books that he'd read. And, and then that went on for a little bit, and then he left. I stayed, went surfing, went to college. <laughs> now we're both, we're both registered nurses and, and uh, living a sweet life. Really oh well, yeah so you're yeah, both, we both went to nursing school
1: you're both you both you and your brother
2: uh-huh yep my mother is a nurse um we come from a family of nurses i guess so i'm a nurse today my brother's a nurse in santa rosa and i'm a nurse out here in uh charlotte
1: oh no way
2: Yep. Yeah, we went to san diego school out there lived out there so we can surf and go to nursing school and then <laughs> we just surfed and went to nursing school and i was still on eastern seaboard so i would just tour a lot and um my brother was still making music, and, and then we put our way through school, graduated and got jobs. So like now, people.
1: So, <laughs> so now, you, so now you've got the normal job. You've got you're you're your, your in you're in Charlotte, but you're still playing music. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The reason I got, I think the
2: reason why me and my brother want to be nurses is because you get this flexible scheduling. You know, I, I was tired of like, I would just have these eight dollar an hour, nine dollar an hour, random jobs, and I'd be like, I need two for a month, and they're like, well you can't I was like well then I quit <laughs> I was like you're gonna let me go on tour I'm gonna quit so I figured what is a job where I don't have to you know I can get a flexible schedule and I don't have to keep quitting jobs and then you know I think that's why basically we got into nursing and now I, I tour all the time play out shows here in Charlotte Charlotte's got a great music scene I know I got a, a base I'm only 10 hours from Chicago 10 hours from New York 10 hours to New Orleans so we just go up and down the coast or, or any one of those places and just play all the time it's great and um, Eastern Seaboard, when we were living in New York, got signed to a label, you know, like out of all my friends, <laughs> the only person, the only thing that ever got signed to a decent label was Free Jazz, which is like hilarious, you know, because all of us have been trying to make it in rock music for so long. And I was like, huh, the only thing I've ever made was Free Jazz. The only time I ever made it was in Free Jazz, which
1: is hilarious. The transitions and the, the world that you, you've lived in, you've lived in these different places, you've all done it, and sort of music has been that channel through all of it.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, of course I'm I'm a lifelong musician, sure Saved my life, music's the best
1: Is there (laughs) anything else that you want to do that you haven't done? No, no, I mean
2: Any dreams?
1: There's no dreams? I'm about as
2: happy as a man could be Music-wise, I have no complaints I've I've led a very Interesting life and it's gotten me some uh, You know, the kid from the Philippines Covered one of my songs I don't know what more you can ask for as a musician than having people love your music You know, that's just That's a fulfilled life right there it's never been about money. I've never made money off of it. I don't. I don't ever plan to. But I plan to keep playing until I can't play anymore. We're all lucky enough to have been around in the right place at the right time, and I'm glad kids love um, Indian Summer, and so is my brother Mark and We're all very humbled and flattered by that. That's amazing. It's been an amazing ride. I'm happy.